Live from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to another edition of the Other Kind Radio Talk Radio. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. The Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast that takes pop culture, puts it in a bright blue transparent box, and delivers it to your auditory system. I think I was trying to be cute when I wrote that. Returning kind listeners, welcome back. Uh, We're glad to have you again. Hope you had a good week. New, new listeners, congratulations on uh, finding the podcast and the plethora of podcasts that are out there. The other kind. Of uh, we ask that all of our listeners, uh, if they can, like, subscribe the to the show. Uh, by doing so, you are uh, help feeding the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. On uh, this week's show, we're going to have some stuff. Then we're going to have Todd's take on uh, It Chapter 2. Jeff's Judgment is going to be on the uh, new Netflix movie, Between Two Ferns. And then, of course, on center stage, we're going to talk about the results of the 2019 Emmys, see who picked what, and uh, we'll be uh, this year's, I don't know, Emmys master. That doesn't even make sense. But uh, before we get into all that, let's get on my, uh, let's bring on my podcast partner. He is a family generator, movie maker, guitar, and drum player, book author. Dive Boombox founder and all around a Renaissance man live from his studio somewhere near, but not in or located specifically around the town of Dallas, Texas. Please welcome Todd. Yeah. How are you today? I don't know, but let's do the show this way. I love it. Oh my God. I think I just turned into Oprah. <laughs> Holy crap. Can you, I be as rich as she is? You just get a podcast. You get a podcast. She is pretty rich, isn't she? Oh God. Hey, she deserves what she gets. I guess if you're going to say you get, you'd create something, you get paid for it. But man, she could share a little of that wealth with me. Did your lights just go out over there, Jeff? Uh, it's because I'm looking at a different screen. I don't have oh. an overhead. Uh... I, and to the kind listener, I know that was, let's let's go into the visual world when we're on an auditory world. Uh, <laughs> the lights went out on the camera feed and suddenly all I saw was a little bit of a pink face in the middle. It was Jeff. It, it looked kind of like a queen video, you know, just sort of face floating in the right. dark. Which is, which is always good. Um, so I was, I wanted to throw this at you real quick. Uh, there was an article that came out on Forbes of the 2019 highest paid actors of uh, 2019. Okay. As I say, 2019 twice. I was kind of shocked at the number top three. Top three. Right. Go three to one. Three to one. Number three, Robert Downey Jr. at 66 mi- million. Chris Marvel. Helmworth at 76.4 million. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne the Rock Johnson at eighty nine point four million just for this year. So I'm not surprised by the top two because of Marvel. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's so funny that you bring him up. I just uh, yesterday my kid sent me something and I wanted to send her a little animated GIF of you rock. Well, every animated GIF is separated by five Dwayne the Rock Johnson going <laughs> you rock. So he's already present in mind. I, I I think he's a charming person. I have never seen, I think the only movie of his I've ever seen was the Scorpion King when he did the mummy. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen another one. Uh, not that I avoid him. He just doesn't draw me. But anytime you hear that, those numbers are not based on 
you're a great actor, you're this or you're that. They're based on the ability to draw in butts and deceits and make yeah. money. They invest the money in you. That's a simple investment. And then they make money back. So it says that his movies are making money. Yeah, if he's pulling, it, if he's pulling in that number, then the movies that he's making are pulling in, you know, three, four times that amount. Uh, I did fail at the beginning of the show to mention that this is episode that today is the 25th of September. And this is episode 65. So I know Todd has it ready to go to tell us the significance of the number 65. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, so Google, tell me the significance of the number 65. <laughs> oh my God. You know, when you search that, you hope you come up with something right away. Right. And the first thing that Mr. Google tells me today, or is that Mrs. Google? Which is she? I, I don't think it's gender specific. So it could be either. Uh... Instead the of, number 65 is an intuitive relationship and family number. It's dynamic, spiritual, and charismatic as well as someone that enjoys teaching. So I guess when you get to the age of 65. When I'm 65. And the Paul McCartney song? Yeah. Here, let's go. I'm going to go with this, the angel number and its meaning. Okay. That's, <sighs> not, that's not too... too uh... Yeah. <laughs> Now serving Angel, 65, 65. Your sandwich well, is ready. Let's just say this. Uh, let's go to the significance of 1965 to, let's say, pop culture significance. Sure, let's see yeah. If it tells us anything. The cost of living in 1965, yearly inflation was uh, 1.59%. The average cost of a new home was $13,000. Average income per year was six thousand. Gasoline cost thirty-one cents. Boy, that gets boring as we went along. No, that's the, actually pretty interesting. That the average income was half the cost of a house, and how yeah. much that's changed. So, uh, bread cost twenty-one cents uh, a loaf. Gallon, uh, gas, gallon of gas is thirty-one cents. Um, that is supposed to be a pretty big socio-economic number too. Is what milk and gas cost? True. So this was the year of the Watts, Watts riot. We had a voting act. You know, thanks for telling me pop culture that everybody wants to know about. <laughs> right. There was a tornado outbreak. Days of Our Lives debuted. There in we go. The great film by the master David Lean, Doctor Shivago, came out in 1965. Which you know, I often use, and if you've never seen this, Jeff, I, I often use when I tell friends about, hey, here's a great way to visually state that there's so much violence. Without ever showing me violence, there's a wonderful shot of Omar Sharif watching a, a uh, it's right before a protest, and we don't really see much of anything. We only see it through his eyes. He's watching a band, mm -hmm. and it cuts to him, and as the camera pulls in, the, the we hear the violence off screen, and then it cuts to a shot of a bass drum rolling. The guy who's ah. carrying the bass drum has been assaulted. Beautiful. I, I So great film if you've never seen it. You know, outside of that, Jeff, I'm going to No, that's say, good. Let's, let's end uh, land on the uh, drum running down, rolling down the street. 65, tough year. 65, tough number. It'll be interesting when we get into the hundreds, what, uh, what kind of fun. May have to get rid of that, uh, that, <laughs> that bit on the show. Um, no, no, no. I've actually found a great site for this, so okay. we're just going to make sure that we pre-po it and make it part of this each cool. discussion. Um, so before we get into Todd's take on, we just have some, some I just called it stuff because it's not really headlines, but some things that... Uh, I saw this past week as I returned uh, yesterday from my trip to Chicago, in which uh, I was there with the kind listener uh, tree, and um, 
we went into uh, this particular place that was very highly recommended uh, for their food and uh, ended up having some of the worst uh, pizza ever, ever. And um, his pizza, which was supposed to be just like, you know, a meat pizza, had carrots on it. And he was uh, he was quite shocked. Uh, his I think his exact words were, who the f*** puts carrots on pizza? And I, I said, yeah, who the f*** does so? Well, at some point, that brings up that we're going to have to talk about this new craze of the meatless meat that's going around. Have you heard yes. about it? And that's that's actually a great segue because uh, uh, little Luke, who listens to the show, is the burger connoisseur of uh, of of our troop. And uh, when I get back from my next trip, I'm going to take him out, and he's going to try the meatless Whopper. And we will have a full review, maybe some audio, if not written commentary from him, because yes, that is something that is getting a lot of um, a lot of press these days. And from what I've gathered, it's not that it's any more healthy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that there's just a, there's they're having to put a ton of oils and stuff in there just to try and right. mimic the uh, the feel. Well, I don't know, and I don't know that that comes about from healthy. I think a lot of vegan type people start right. saying well, it also helps the environment and things like that because True. you can get. It what the meat industry with all the transportation went on is belching into the atmosphere. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by it. I didn't realize the oils, but I read a whole article on it yesterday and I never thought about it until right now. Actually, now I think we may have mentioned it, that food is pop culture in its own way. You it is. Food network, those kind of things. Ooh. So you have Chef Jeff, isn't that? Chef, he has some culinary experience. Yes. Chef Jeff, well, we'll have to, I'll reach out to him. He's actually in your great city. So I'll have to reach out to Chef Jeff and ask him if he's tried the meatless uh, menu and what his, uh, what his opinion is. That's great. I, I like that. I'm making a note right now that uh, we'll do, uh, we'll do pop culture food. Cause that, you're right. That is, uh, that is a big portion and carrots on pizza is just wrong. Without question. Without- you know what? I think we're going to end the show there today. <laughs> carrots on pizza ends the show. Goodbye. Everyone. That's right. Bye-bye. Um, all right. So uh, first thing I have written underneath stuff here that I, I heard this morning, I think we were probably listening to the same pr- program as, um, as the release of Joker uh, is quickly, um, you know, quickly going to be upon us. There's some concern. And in fact, the FBI is monitoring communications about some possible breakouts of violence uh, at the Joker movies. And of course, very difficult to talk about this because of course, I think we're only seven years out from when what happened at the Batman movie. Um, but I, I just thought was kind of interested in your thoughts on, I mean, I, I guess the whole theme of the Joker film is a little bit of uh, social anarchy or, or I mean, do you know much about the storyline? I, I purposely stayed away because, you know, I've said yeah. many times before that Batman is amongst my favorite characters that's ever been created so i've stayed away from knowing anything but i do know that from listening to director todd phillips that he's really referenced a lot of classic 70s films namely taxi driver Mm. and network both of which are commentaries both about the violence and the way that we use the media and distort fact um i I had this discussion with my wife when she heard about it, you know, and, and the big thing that has to come out when you really talk about it is the Aurora. I forget where that is. And I, I had that it's in Denver, wasn't it? Is it Denver? Because everything just says Aurora. So I don't remember, but the families of the victims had asked to not show the film at the movie theater where the, the event occurred. Mm. Um, and 
then they, you know, they came back and said, we're not asking Warner Brothers to pull this film. We're simply asking for discussion about the violence, mm. as well as we kind of believe that Warner Brothers maybe should make a donation of some sort to victims of violence like this. And I, I got what they're coming at. But of course, this morning, the, the media, and my wife was watching Today Show, they're, they're almost distorting it to an extent of this awful, awful thing. You know, and I know that that's how media works. You you twist it so you have a an angle. I kind of side with director Todd Phillips when he said, "I think that films like this have to be made so we continue to talk sure. about what creates the people people that do this." And a lot of people are like, you know, upset. Well, it should it creates empathy for them. Well, I, look, I'm not saying what they say is not despicable, but if you begin to look at the societal factors and whatnot that occur, yeah where the art comes from that there is some empathy to be had that these people finally went down that dark path now they do deserve to be punished so i think that films like this can be important yeah yeah. especially a mass film like this gets somebody talking about it we actually start to see what occurs and why this happens yeah so it's an interesting thing i'm actually kind of surprised it only just now is coming up because when this started hitting the festival scene and getting all the accolades it did these concerns started popping up almost two and a half months ago yeah so it's just now hitting, I guess, because the film's really about to hit. And I'm I'm hoping that there isn't anything like that happens because that would be be awful uh, to to have to try and again deal with something else like that. Because I really want to go see the film and uh, kind of get an idea of of uh, you know all or at least put in context some of the stuff that um, um, that is going to make this movie I think uh, pretty unique and and uh, something to study in the future. Speaking of which, uh, real quick before we go on to the next two stuff. I also saw that there was a new trailer out for the Breaking Bad movie. And uh, have you seen it? I have not. I did see the one that I believe aired during the Emmys. I turned it off. Um, Right. The one during the Emmys is the one that where it's just the guy being questioned, right? No, the the one in the Emmys was it it's almost the same kind of thing. You know, you had the first one where the guy's being questioned, and you almost don't know what it is, but it alludes to a lot of the imagery and ideas from Breaking Bad. You put it together by the end it says El Camino Breaking Bad movie. Okay. This is the same thing, except that's an El Camino and somebody's sitting there crying as you uh, listen to a radio report. Nothing said. But now I've heard there's a full trailer. Yes. And I'm not watching it. I turned it off. I turned it off. It's like it starts out with Jesse. And I'm like, okay, well, that's some cool imagery. And then it shows him like in the shower. And then there's another scene where he pulls a shovel out. And I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to see anymore. You know, so, oh, damn it. I think we're doing so good at just kind of keeping it, you know, really nice and subtle. So, um, and that's disappointing. I guess that Netflix bows to the pressure that we need a full trailer. But man, yeah, I actually think there's some absolute genius because, again, like with the one in the El Camino. And Jeff, you could watch it and it won't spoil anything yeah. because it literally imagine at the end of the show that Jesse's pulled over on the side of the road and is listening to a report on the radio about what happened. Right. Um, massive carnage, a remote controlled machine gun yeah. occurred, did all the damage, multiple people dead. That's it. And that is a beautiful advertising campaign. And once again, we have to do a show yeah. about trailers and advertising. We will. I promise. Uh, the other uh, next thing I have in, in stuff is uh Jurassic 3 you got Goldblum and and uh what's his face's daughter signed in and ready to go what's his face's daughter was that it would that be Laura Dern yes 
I do believe that Laura Dern might have a few skins on the wall beyond being Bruce Dern's daughter. I know. I just saw that. Well, we just saw the uh, Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood. So uh, Bruce Dern was fresh on the brain. But um, uh, how are you feeling about this? Are you a big Jurassic Park fan? Uh, Are we we start? Why are we rebooting this? I mean, are the dinosaurs back again? We just had uh, the dude from from Guardians of the Galaxies running around with dinosaurs. I mean, what's going on? Um, other than money. <laughs> so I, I find myself a little bored with Jurassic park simply because, um, it, you know, it really is just a regurgitation every time of give me a situation to put the characters in a bad place and right. dinosaurs come out. Right. I, I felt, and I don't think I'm alone in this, that they missed a great opportunity where they could have eventually said they tried to, they alluded to big corporations coming in and getting them and doing things with them. Yeah. The, the original Jurassic Park was a great commentary on why the thing that we do with uh, companies taking over like Disney World and creating things like that and almost not caring about the safety of people. That The best stories have a commentary of some sort in them, almost like we alluded to with Joker. I think that Jurassic Park forgot that. Now, I will say, did you see that there was a short film for Jurassic Park, directed by Colin, whatever his last name is, and I don't have it in front of me, the Farrell? director. I'm sorry, Farrell, Colin Farrell. No. Oh, it's uh, the guy that got fired for making Star Wars, but Bill, um, Bill Collins. Oh my God! <laughs> hang on. So one of the, the challenges of being just friends is that he loves to keep picking, um, keep guessing stupid stuff. So we're we're A short film, okay. Uh, but there's a short film called Battle at Big Rock. Mm. And he made a short film and it's basically a family is at a campsite in a trailer and you hear in the background that Ooh. they're dealing with the dinosaurs roaming, blah, 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 blah. But they kind of turn off. It's almost like they're kind of tired of hearing it. Right. And while they're in their trailer, all of a sudden a triceratops shows up and it only escalates from there. Genius advertising. You know, and yeah. the money they must have spent to create this, it's, you know, it's a lot, a lot of money. And by the way, it's Colin Trevorrow. Oh, yeah. And uh, he directed uh, one of the, the relaunches of Jurassic World, I guess, was the, the film he directed. And he directed this short. So they got it out there. And then I saw today that they'd cast these three. And you also didn't put in Jeff Goldblum. So they're bringing back the, the three people from the original. Goldblum, Dern, and Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Yeah, and I just find myself going, I don't care. Yeah, uh, you know that I, that short film was good. Um, I just thought it kind of lost touch with its base when the Rex jumps out of the bushes. He's like, "Say hello to my little friend," and starts. I, it's funny <laughs> you say that because I thought, but so what? When he's saying that, it it basically sets up. Yeah going to happen and it is the classic of if you're going to do this you're going to do that right and when it happened at the end i just like oh (laughs) what would have been funnier is if you know the little kid having done what she done had been thrown back by the recoil of what she did you know that would have been funny but instead she's standing there like a badass i it was silly but it's still it's genius advertising have you uh what's your thought on uh peanut butter falcon have you heard about that at all yeah, I have. And I, I think the trailer looks really, really interesting. Yeah. I think Shia LaBeouf is a compelling person because, you know, if you ever follow him, he went from the highs of being up there and even being cast in the Indiana Jones film mm-hmm. to fall 
falling flat on his face after a lot of actions on that mm-hmm. set behavior in a Broadway play. And apparently he got some therapy and went back and started making these films that are a little more in line with what people kind of hoped of him. So I'm, I'm interested to see it. If you want to see something interesting, kind listener, there is a uh, channel on YouTube. Uh, I think it's called uh, when, when we eat hot ones, it's, it's basically the one just do a search for hot ones. And it's a wing competition where they have a, a host and then they have, you know, like Shaq's been on there. A bunch of people have been on there and they work progressively through some very, they eat, I think it's like six wings each wing in a different sauce that gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Shia, Shia LaBeouf was, was, uh, was on it and he seems like he's, he's in a good spot. He's coming around. So uh, I was interested to see that. And I'm interested in peanut butter Falcon, which um, I think will be a pretty touching uh, film. So we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, the last thing I have in stuff is uh, matrix Four. I uh, saw an article uh, I think on Reddit where uh, Keanu Reeves has read the script for matrix four and says it's pretty interesting. So <sighs> Jurassic three matrix four. I mean, do, do you think that these are solely motivated by the, by the, by the dollar? Or do you, do you think that these creators and, and writers have really something else they could add on to this story? So I'm going to start there. Yeah, I do think that they probably feel they have something they could add on. I think that they look and they think there's more story here. I think the Matrix is a very rich world to explore. I think that though, when you look at the second and third film, they were not on par with the first one. Right. I, hell, I even, you know, to jump ahead, I even look at, I, I saw the third John Wick the other day mm-hmm. and I feel that that was a great, an amazing first film that I feel has just continued to fall down the yeah. steps. It is just, it is, it is nothing but an excuse now to get him in a fight situation over and over and over. There's yeah. no human um, compulsion yeah. to drive along to find out what he needs like there was in the first film. I wonder I wonder about things like this. If that's where I think the humanity's gone, when they just begin saying we can still explore things, we can right. do this and this. Right. You better have a good story. So, yeah. I, I, I see that. And my daughter asked me, "Are we going to see it?" I'm like, "We'll see." You know, uh, we'll see what it looks like. And I may not waste the money going to the theater, but maybe I'll watch it at home. I don't know. And I think I think the reason why the first one, I remember walking out of seeing the first Matrix, feeling, and I'm going to say this. I know it's going to sound. Uh, you know, hippie-ish, but I was walking on air because it was dealing with this alternate reality and all the elements of sci-fi that just, just, you know, get their claws into me. And I just, I'm just, you know, captivated. And at the end, when he stops the bullets, you know, and realizes, you know, in some ways, kind of like a lucid dreaming that he's, he's awake and can understand that it's an alternate reality. And he just takes off. I mean, I would have been happy if that had been the last flick but then you know they had to build on top of that not only now he's got these superpowers but now you know how do you combat that and everything so i think they i think you're right i think by continuing i I see the money and everything involved but just the matrix by itself is a story it was really good it's almost like if they try to come out with um um what's the i see dead people um six cents it's like if they try to come out with six cents too you know i see dead people and i don't know alligators i don't know whatever his other power is but you know it's just like sometimes a a good story is just that a good story just leave it there 
Yeah, I, I find myself getting tired of sequels when they don't. Let's use the Matrix as an example again. You know, that is a an evolutionary film in that mm-hmm. the, the character starts in one place and ends in another with his understanding of the world. Right. It felt to me, and I, I've only seen those second, third films once because mm-hmm. I was not compelled to watch them again. The first one, you know, first one, I was actually a late adopter. I did not see it in the theaters. I kept going, I don't want to see Keanu Reeves. When I finally watched him, I was like, holy crap, great movie. If the second and third had had that same evolutionary feel, you know, now Neo knows something here. And by right. the end of it, he gets more knowledge. I just felt like it's just an exploration of the world and it becomes a heist film kind of type thing yeah. where we have to do something. Yeah. I, I don't mind you making these movies if you evolve the story. Right. And I don't feel that enough of these do. Real quick, it just reminded me of a moment in Matrix that made me laugh out loud when nobody else in the theater laughed. And that's when uh, Neo and uh, what is it, Morpheus are on top of the buildings and he's teaching them about the powers in the Matrix and jumping from building to building. And Mor- Morpheus makes the jump, you know, and it's a big powerful moment. And Keanu Reeves, there's a shot of his face and he's like, Whoa. And I thought, <laughs> I was like, ah, Bill and Ted snuck in there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm surprised you know, that the brothers didn't say, you know, the directors that are their brothers didn't be like, hey, can we retake that? And you not sound like, don't and- do, whoa, don't do it that way. You know, <laughs> it's totally gnarly, dude. That's so cool. You want to talk about a guy that, though, is just top class. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the stories that oh, he yeah. takes big salaries and, and takes what he needs and donates the rest. Great, dude. Um, I, I, it's funny you mentioned laughing because my daughter walked in while I was watching John Wick three. She wanted to watch something else. I said, sit here. It's only got about 15 minutes. Yeah. That ended up being like 30, 40 minutes. And both of us were like, my God, is this ever going to be over? But Keanu, I'm, I'm compelling you Yeah. in future films. If someone says run, don't do it. You run as much as the whoa. <laughs> I want you now to watch him run. He he kind of runs like a a broken gazelle. Like, hey hey, and he's supposed to be this badass. You know, my wife was joking. Well, he could do the Tom Cruise run of doing his hands. I said, but at least that looks like he's urgently getting away. He looked like somebody had slapped him. He's kind of going, oh, we'll get over there. Tomorrow. Okay, all right. Hey, that should be our first like triple A um, actor we have on the show. I'm going to start reaching out to Keanu Reeves people. See if he'll be on real quick. Great. And I know you. Hey, Ed, listen, Todd talked about you once before. Let's play it back. Yeah, he runs like a broken <laughs> I know how this works. So, Keanu, now that you and I are really good friends and we hate Todd, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for stuff. Let's keep moving along. We're going to get into Todd's take on. So let's get that. Uh, let's get that lovely projector out. Uh, yes. Been a while since we heard it. All right, Todd, what's your take on this week? My take on is it. Chapter two, the sequel to the original first film in the It duology. Um, This came out a few weeks back. And just because, you know, being the father of a teenager, you just don't have the time for it. So I finally got to go see it this weekend. Uh, The reviews had been meh. It was scary in places. It didn't retain the charm of the original. I will quickly get to the point of, look, you watch these two films together. They do tell a beautiful story. Here is the problem, much like we've just been talking about with sequels. Oftentimes, you don't further the story. They do further the story. What they do is they further it too much. Yeah. It's three hours long, and 
to me, they don't treat the people with respect that have seen it before. And what I mean by that is if you've seen it before, most likely many people probably watched the original one the night before. So they get in the mood, right? You understand the motivations of the characters, you know, what's going on. There is far too much of let's insert things in this that make the characters feel a compulsion to go against the clown. Now you need that. They need to have a reason because it can't just be, we've moved away. We're adults. And the way the story works is when you move away from it, you've forgotten. They have to be reminded. I, they could have all had a shared experience of, or at least two or three of them at a time. But instead this film gives each one of them a moment with the clown to remind them of the fear that they had and to know they did it. It goes on mm-hmm. and on until the final part of it's actually pretty good. And they handle it. And the, you know, the people are, the casting on it is amazing. When you look at the, some of the young kids, they got the, the adults they got that look like them. There's great stuff. It's just that filmmakers have to understand I had success over here. It does not mean to indulge beyond all imagination over here. And that's what this film felt like. Right. Andy Muschietti uh, is a great director i i i really look at him and think man you've got some chops there you need to listen when people probably tell you look three hours might be too long so i've got some questions for you i have not seen it because you know me in in horror films right. um was this is this a chapter written by stephen king or is this hey let's get a bunch of writers and just kind of build something in that universe this is that they actually took the book and split it in two because the book really does start. Oh. The very first of it starts with one of the adult characters killing himself because we find out then that he has found out he has to go back and confront the clown. Then the story's told in flashback form. Mm. So what they did instead of treating it like that, they just told the youth part in the first part. And now they tell the adult part in the second. So it you're telling the true story and it's, you know, I read this book a long time ago. So if you want to poke holes at no, this has changed, fine. But by and large, it is the story that Stephen King told. Right. But, you know, the thing about adapting film is you can't often do the exact literary thing. And I, I know that in the literary moments, there are moments where the characters have these things. Yeah. They insert the thing where the Bill character, played by James McAvoy, has to go into a house of mirrors and the clown is there and it it's scary but it's not needed mm. it slows it down the urgency of the film is lost by the time it finally gets going in fact there's one moment with bill Hader where he goes into a synagogue of the friend that's killed himself and he has this recitation on youth and going back to the places that where your life began it should have honestly that scene at the end of all these things i'm complaining about should have been dropped at the first of the film, set the tone for it, had one little moment where they got, and then it, it would have done the exact same thing. Right. So it's a good film. It's not great. I do think the two, I'll buy it because I want to watch the two together, mm-hmm. but it could have been just a masterpiece. And I do think the first one is pretty close to about as masterful as you can get for a story about a killer clown. Right. You know, you, you bring up something interesting there where they will take a book and split it into two the one that makes me think of it is the last one in the uh, Hunger Games series where they did that. And there's a few other, I think there's Harry Potter and some other other big books that have come out and they've made movies out of them. And I agree with you 100%. It also reinforces the argument that you had in the discussion you and I had about Player One, where they changed a lot 
And one of the things that you educated me on in that podcast was about, you know, you just, you can't, there's certain things you can't do on film. You will lose your audience. You can't sit there, them and have them work out a certain puzzle. Instead, they need to have the car race or do something different. Um, and, and I see what you're saying with this because um, the last book in the Hunger Games series is a good book and a good story and it gives closure and stuff. But, but by splitting it into two films, I, I felt the same way you did. The, the second one was too long. And then they spent too much time in areas where in the book it was more like a fleeting moment versus an entire scene shot about this one thing. So, uh, and, and I understand that Almighty Dollar has something to do with that too, but I think, and my point being, that when you are constrained within a 90-minute, you know, uh, to 100-minute um, time sensitivity as far as your filmmaking, that it does often bring together some ingenuity and some creativeness from, from the crew that's, that's shooting it that makes it a better film than if you go, well, we've got two films to work on it. I mean, we can do some of it here or having to come up with filler on the second half of it. Maybe that's why the first movie felt so tight. Well, I think that what I would have, and I think you're absolutely right. And what I would have liked to see personally, if you're going to make one of these a three hour film, yeah, then make one three hour film yeah. and tell the story. Look, it is a big, it's a big book. You got yeah. a lot of story to tell, but you can do that the way, you know, it's what we talked about with ready player one. Oftentimes you'll have three characters that essentially serve the same purpose in the story, but maybe at different points in the story, right. you can get them into one character. You do things like that. And that's why that's how you do film. That's how you adapt it. This just feel feels indulgent. Now you talk about the mighty dollar, the real reason you don't like three hour films and especially just one out of the blue is because there's less showings at the Megaplex that day. Uh, For every three-hour film, I can get a two-hour film to show probably twice more. Right now, fine, share, do a premium, put put a uh, put intermissions back in this thing, and make people go buy some more popcorn, whatever it yeah. may be. Do this correctly, and I I think that they made a mistake by splitting this in two. This is this is our million-dollar business idea. Hundred percent. It's, it's, it's a Cineplex. It's just built on that same model, except we show movies at twice the speed. Oh my God. <laughs> we'll call it movies and fast forward. <laughs> I think that actually is my nightmare. Uh, my, my co-host on minute of the ape, Sean listens to podcast at triple speed. I, I and he'll like, This is how I listen to it. I'm like, I don't understand a yeah. word they're saying. Well, once you get used to it, I'm like, uh -uh. no, no. <laughs> once I get used to being hit in the face, it doesn't hurt quite as much, but I don't go looking for it. You had me, you had me at hello. I'm going to I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> Would be funny. All right. Anything else you want to add on that? I, I just all of a sudden thought about it. Would commander Arf actually have a normal pitched voice if it were at triple speed? Now, and I want to address that. That's something we didn't talk about at the beginning. I am going to put a lock on the door. The fact that he and, and Squiggla or Squiggy or whoever it was came in and did a podcast, an unauthorized podcast, much less knew how to upload it and everything. I mean, they're from SRAM and I don't even know if they have the internet up there. So um, I apologize to the kind listener. We'll make sure that uh, that doesn't happen again. All right, let's go ahead and put that projector away for the next week. Let's get on to Jeff's judgment. I'll try and make this a short one as we uh, we do have to go through the results of the 2019 Emmys. My judgment, and it's mainly going to be a conversation with Todd too, is I took the time to watch. Now, this took two restarts and then a pause, but I watched uh, Netflix's, and I'm trying to uh, get the Netflix sounder. There we go, Netflix sounder. Um 
new film called Between Two Ferns. So we will talk and address the kind listener that is not aware of what Between Two Ferns is. Between Two Ferns is a skit sketch that appeared on Will Ferrell's Funny or Die website that features Zach Galifianakis interviewing um, famous people uh, on a very simple set, which is basically two ferns on either side of the chairs. And its whole uh, entity and bit is these are terribly um, awkward um, uh, questions. There's one where he interviews, and Todd will know her name, Captain uh, Marvel. Brie Larson. He interviews Brie Larson, and he so he always has his paper in front of him. He says, uh, Brie, I have a two-part question. Um, one, you have been uh, known not to answer questions um, that, make, that uh, you find uncomfortable. Um, why? And the second question is, how old were you when you had your first period? Now, of course, again, if you're in the realm of the bit, um, it it is an awkward moment. Most of the stars don't ever uh, answer, um, and then they continue on. They're usually very short, just a couple minutes long, and there are some very fun ones. He's had uh, Hillary Clinton on. He's had uh, uh, President Barack Obama on. So he's gotten some big names. Um, Matthew McConaughey's on there. Uh, some of it's rehearsed. Some of them have a little bit of what is it? Stage plat? What is it? Um, where you uh, where you Pratt Pratt Falls maybe? Oh yeah, Pratt Falls. Pratt Falls, where his chair will break or whatever. And their main insult to Zach Galifianakis is that he's fat. And he even had David Letterman on, which shocked me because this comedy can be at times multi-layered and a little sophisticated, but for the most part, it's you know, fart and poop jokes kind of stuff. Um, so that's the history of it. So in little bits, when you have a couple moments, you're like, oh my God, he had Matthew McConaughey on. And that one's pretty funny because at the beginning of the skit, there's water dripping from pipe uh, out of the ceiling. And Matthew McConaughey is kind of commenting on that. And Zach's like, don't worry about it. We'll take it out and post and everything. Well, then right in the middle of the interview, the pipe bursts. Uh, or no, he sets off the fire alarms and then the pipe bursts and they're both just, you know, dra- you know, just ground and not, they don't drown, but they're covered in heavy water and all this other stuff, wrestling and everything. Um, so in little spoon, spoon sized bites, it's enjoyable and it's sometimes funny. Um, <laughs> but as a movie, and I knew going into this, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it, it I guess, um, uh, what was the one where it was uh, uh, the two guys that did the, uh, it was based on Saturday Night Live, but they were two guys that did like oh, Wayne's, World, Wayne's World. When, oh, Wayne's World. Yeah, that one too. Night of the Roxbury is good too. So, you know, Wayne's World, again, a bit that was there and then they made a film out of it and actually did a pretty good job. This, in so many ways, didn't do that. I think it was really stretching for them to try and set up a story where they have to go uh, and try and conduct some more of these, uh, interviews. Um, so my first question for you, Todd, is obviously this is a Netflix film. It's not going to make a lot of money. So why do it? Because you've now made a Zach Galifianakis film. Content is everything in the streaming world. 
Okay. It does get people talking. It continues to put the Netflix name out there. All right. And it, Peter Dinklage is in it. See, now you almost make me want to see it. I My thought is I'm, I'm not that big of a Zach Galifianakis fan. I yeah. thought in the first hangover, I thought he was great, you know, and I just, I didn't, I don't quite understand the the web shorts. I, I look at them and I'm like, okay, it's funny, but I also know that Zach Galifianakis, they know it is. And why am I suddenly right. allowing that he's doing these interviews? And it's obviously very put together that yes. way i don't get the joke now is it funny sure they're funny parts but i don't get it i don't get why they yeah. these famous actors are suddenly acting like they're being interviewed by him and he just happens to be this dota hat i don't get that right it is not by any ways a improvisational or an un um rehearsed interview right um he's not playing a character of any sorts he's just himself in an odd situation right so I, I, you know, I kind of suffered through the film. And again, the thing that makes the film worth watching is when he does his little interviews, because those are the funny parts, but the stuff in between the drama in between that's manufactured about them trying to get these 10 more interviews to get a contract and all this other stuff is just kind of drawn out and bad. Um, but then at the end, something magical happened. They started to show the outtakes of the interviews. So the first time he asks that actress that I, whose name I can't remember the place, Captain Marvel, who Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Yeah. Brie Larson. The first time he asked Brie Larson that question about, you know, and she bursts out laughing and then they go to David Letterman where he, you know, he's, you know, was calling him, uh, because David Letterman now has this big white beard and he was calling him, uh, crack Santa. <laughs> the first time he calls him that, um, David Letterman laughs. And so to me, it was a lot of work to get to that point because I actually watched all of the credits because they kept rolling those little interviews in. And to me, that's when I laughed the hardest. And that's when I really enjoyed it because I think to just show the rehearsed, uncomfortable interview in itself is is kind of funny but to see the stars react to these horrible things that he's saying to me was even more um you know it made me feel closer to to understanding what that what that movie star's personality was and how they were able to take a joke and for me that's more enjoyable than just watching uncomfortableness i love nothing more than when a friend comes to me and says by the way skip the entire film watch the credits there you go so that's what i'm gonna go do today i'm gonna <laughs> giggle over the credits and i will consider it done all right, so uh, that's Jeff's judgment on uh, Netflix's um, Between Two Ferns. I would say you de you have to dig deep and be completely out of things to watch before uh, this really becomes um, watchable. Uh, and then if you want to use uh, Todd's strategy and just go and watch the credits. All right, so that's Jeff's judgment. Let's move to Sunny's Sunny Center Stage. Boy, I got to start sunny, warming up. Sunny Center Stage. Sunny 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 Center Stage. Um, we are going to go through the results of the 2019 Emmys. Uh, one thing that I wanted to kind of bring out to the kind listener and talk to Todd about real quickly is the fact that the Nielsen ratings came out and more people watched 60 Minutes than watched the Emmys. And I have a theory, but I want to throw it to my podcast partner to let me know why you think their ratings are so bad. I think that, you know, when you look at the Grammys, at least you can you can bill it that we're going to have so-and-so perform. Travis Scott's going to be there and he's going to perform. If he has a hot song, people want to see it. You know, the, the Emmys, 
all we can promise you is that at some point we're going to raise up the side in the middle and the side of the stage and the cast of Game of Thrones is all going to assemble for what is honestly awkwardness. You know, and you watch the show and it's like, okay, why am I compelled to watch this? Oh, because I do a podcast with my dear friend and I kind of have to know what's going right, on. Right. That's the only reason I'm there. Otherwise, I would be like, you yeah. know, I get it. And thank you for watching it, at least portions of it, because I, I as well, I was in Chicago and, you know, I made sure I was back in my room with a, you know, a, a hamburger and uh, a beer so I could, you know, watch this and kind of go through it. So um, we watch so you don't have to. The Other Kind Radio with Todd and Jeff. Um, but I do, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. So while we begin to go through here, try and think of maybe a top two, top three things that you liked about it. And then, of course, maybe a top uh, three bad things that you didn't like about it. While we're okay. thinking about that and going through that, I, I think the reason why the ratings are going down is I think there is a social movement right now about the top 1%. And I think that three hours watching people that are extremely rich and extremely successful all give each other awards is possibly for the first time kind of being seen for what it is. And the very reason why every time I'm like, okay, let's do, you know, let's do a, uh, let's do an Emmy show. Let's do an Oscar show. Todd rolls his eyes because he doesn't like award shows. And he, he has already figured out the matrix that is Hollywood. Um, so I think socially more people are becoming aware because a lot of the jokes and a lot of what I read afterwards was just another night full of star studded, you know, celebrities wearing clothing that could feed families for months, sitting around patting each other on the back that there's no, real social message and or um, anything, I guess, that would contribute back to society. Wow, I can't believe I'm saying that. But I mean, I think maybe people are beginning to see that. Hence the reason that they're not interested in watching a bunch of already successful people win awards. Now, there are there were some, some uh, inspirational speeches that were given, but there weren't a whole lot of those. So I think that's one reason why it's it's dropping off. I mean, I, th I think people just have other things to watch and um, are more selective with what's going to get their attention. You know, when you first started down that path, I kind of thought, well, yeah, no, because the ongoing thing of why the entertainment industry has done these things is because the exact flip of what you just said for the longest time, it was let's show people in this opulence and it makes people allows them to vicariously think of themselves in that moment. Mm. Well, we see that so often we don't give a crap anymore. Yeah. And I think you may be on to something because, you know, for every Michelle Williams getting up there and talking about the inequality of an African-American actress compared to her compared to a white actor, which is very true. And yeah. Hollywood is starting to address these things. But for every speech like that, there's a vapid moment of, you know, Hey, look at what uh, we all talk about. What uh, Nicole Kidman's wearing, even though she wasn't at that show. I'm right, just thinking right, that. right. 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 That garbage, when when you got me, was when you said the clothing that could feed a family. Yeah. Now, these people don't pay for that. This is a lot of, usually a designer is going to give it to them, but that clothing costs a crap ton of money. Yeah, well, they don't have any problem saying what the worth is. You know, they say it's no, a you know, Versace whatever dress, but then, you know, they definitely mention the money side of it. But that's a good point. I like I like what you said there. Well, I, I think that the big thing for me as I watch this and, and you, you said that I've cracked the matrix of that matrix evolves. And, you know, I won't be surprised when you tell me this, if you didn't win right. the, the, the votes, because what I saw 
and we'll get into this, is that I bet 10 to 1 HBO will never again, never again ha- allow multiple people to be on or, uh, nominated in a category because you had wins in <laughs> categories that were like, uh, what? Why did they win? You know, Ozarks wins a lot of stuff when Ozarks is an okay series, but yeah. I could, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk if you like it, but that thing is not what it should be. Right. It's not a, the Breaking Bad it wants to be, and it certainly doesn't deserve awards if you're going to pick one. But when we get to those categories, I'm going to point out there was both a coronation of one person. Yeah. And that would be, that's the, the lady associated with Fleabag. Hollywood mm-hmm. went, we adore you. Yeah. This is your coronation moment. There was also the, oh, there are 50,000 people nominated for Game of Thrones. We, we each kind of split for those and this person's going to win for another thing. Right. All right. So as we go through the list and we'll go through these pretty quickly, um, just remember at the end, we'll go through our top three, bottom three moments or top one or two, whatever. I don't want, uh, I don't want to have to stick to a specific number, but all right. So let's go ahead and start. So Todd has the results. Um, I'll give the category and then hopefully you can find who the winner was. Cause I also realized Todd and I were texting during the broadcast and the list that I, whatever website I got this from, which I think was Variety or something like that, there were some categories that were left out that um, I would have liked to have had uh, a word on. But again, uh, we're already at uh, 48 minutes and we're trying to keep things under an hour these days. So uh, if we missed a category, um, we apologize, but this is just a list that Jeff put together. Send all your thoughts and comments to info at the otherkindradio.com. That's info at the otherkindradio.com. You are listening to The Other Kind Radio with Todd and Jeff. All right, so let's go. Let's start with Outstanding Drama, uh, drama Series. You had Better Call Saul, Bodyguard, Game of Thrones, Killing Eve, Ozark, Pose, Succession, This Is Us. The winner was? Uh <laughs> I'm trying to be fast and you, you throw right. out drama series. And of course it did not have me to climb up, but I know the drama series was game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, which uh, we both got correct. Um, I think you and I nailed this when we were uh, originally just kind of talking about, there was just no stopping this, the momentum of this show, even though it was a crap last season. Yeah. I, you know, okay. I, it, I, I will contest you. It's not crap, but it did not live up to the <laughs> excellence that was the first seasons. This is nothing more. You know, again, they bring the Game of Thrones cast out. Everybody stands up and applauds. It's the it's the silliest moment outside really? that I look at Amelia Clark, who is absolutely adorable. But besides that, it was just a stupid staged moment. But you also know that this is going to be an award. They go, you did great. You made so much money. Here it is. Right. You knew there was no splitting this vote, period. Right. Exactly. All right, uh, we'll move on to Outstanding Comedy Series. Your nominations were Barry, Fleabag, The Good Place, Marvelous Miss Maisel, Russian Doll, Schitt's Creek, and Veep. Who won? Fleabag. Yeah, and I told you that Catherine and I tried to watch that one night, and she made me turn it off like within four to five minutes of it. So I need to go back and revisit. I think you do because, you know, you came to me and said, man, I don't like this. They break the fourth wall. They deal with this. And I went in going, okay, I love Jeff. I respect him. (laughs) And and maybe you set my bar so low that I watched it and I was like, um, crap, this is really good. And by now I will tell you, I've only watched one or two episodes and I'm now got to go back to it. Jeff, it's pretty good. And I think you, especially somebody that enjoys comedy so much. Right. Go in there and clean, clear your mind of it and just watch it. It's a good show. I'll do that. I'll do what I do with, Names and other important events. I will forget all about it and go back in with a uh, with a fresh palette. 
So you neither one of us got points on that one. We both were on Veep. Now we're on to outstanding lead actress in a comedy series. There was Christina Applegate, Dead to Me, Rachel Brosnan, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Julia Lewis Drivers with Veep, Natasha Leone, Russian Doll, Catherine O'Hara, Shits Creek, and Phoebe Waller Bridge for Fleabag. And the winner was. Oh my God. Why is this not coming up, Jeff? Sorry. Right. It's okay. It's the internet. I think it was Phoebe Waller Bridge for Fleabag. It was Phoebe Waller Bridge. I yeah. was just trying to get it in front of me. Because I yes. remember the picture the next day was her standing in front of a, a lectern with like 14 golden globes in her, in her arms. I mean, Hollywood loves her. She is kind of the go-to person right now when they need a fresh take on comedy type approaches to things. She was in, even though the Star Wars film Solo did not make the box office money it did, she was one of the standouts playing Lando Robot. She's great. But again, this is so typical in award shows when they all think we love somebody, they're just going to pour the love on. Going to do that. And, and which is shocking again that they beat Veep. Veep yeah. had the same kind of thing going into it. Game of Thrones did that. It was like predictable and not predictable. We both had uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus for that one, and so we neither got points. All right, outstanding lead actor in a comedy series, and we're good to go. Um, I won't go through all the nominations. The winner was Bill Hader for Barry. All right, and I, you called that, and I was on your coattails, so we both got a point for that. I didn't. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I or maybe missed it, but I didn't get to see his speech. Was he pretty good up there when he said thank you? Did you see it? Um, I'm guilty of fast forwarding through a lot of the speeches. I get real tired. <laughs> and we'll just say Bill Hader was awesome. He did a great job and was very um, courteous yeah. and grateful. Let's be let's be very kind to him. I funny thing is when he was on Saturday Night Live, I was never a fan, but the more and more I see of him as an yeah. actor. The more impressed I am, especially he his candor when he is sitting and in, being interviewed, he's very honest. Yes, he's, he so is. I'm sure he's a job. I didn't mean that to come out disingenuous. Yes, Bill Hader's both good on the screen and off, and I highly recommend for those people that haven't seen any of Barry to go ahead and pick that up. I haven't seen any. Oh, you have. You need to. You truly I, I know. I, yeah. It's on my list. I'll do Fleabag and I'll do Barry, and yeah, I'm going to binge him quickly. There we go. All right, outstanding lead actress in a drama series: Amelia Cart, Game of Thrones. Jodie Comer, Killing Eve, Viola Davis, How to Get Away with Murder, Laura Lindley, Ozark, Mandy Moore, This Is Us, Sandra Oh, Killing Eve, Robin Wright, House of Cards, and your winner was? You know, we should have probably rehearsed this beforehand because as I swear, as I do lead actress, it just doesn't even come up. What a, I, I really hate variety. Oh, um, okay, let's, let's just see. Drama series, Jodie Comer for Killing Eve. All right, so this is, this is, uh, this is important because this is where Jeff takes the lead. Uh, I had Jodie Comer. You had Sandra O. Oh. So both the same show. I, I'm impressed that the voting populace of this group of narcissists, that's probably unfair <laughs> of me, pick somebody that's really good because she's fantastic in she that is. role. And that's why I was, I was happy that she won, not only because it put me a point ahead of you, but, <laughs> but because... Uh, yes, she does a great job. We're talking about a character that she plays that does multiple languages, multiple accents. And not only that can change her physical appearance. Very, uh, I should say just changes her physical appearance. There are times that she looks amazing. There's the times where she's, you know, obviously going for more of a murderous kind of look and everything. So I think this was uh, rightfully handed out. Let's go to outstanding lead actor in a drama series. We had Jason Bateman, Ozark, Sterling K. Brown, This Is Us, Kit Harrington, Game of Thrones, Bob Odenkirk, Better Call Saul, Billy Porter Pose, Milo, Ventimiglia, 
This is us. And the winner was Billy Porter for Pose. Pose. Yeah, and I think I did see that. So neither one of us said it. You had uh, uh, Bob Odenkirk, and I had Kit Harrington. So uh, I'm a little surprised. I mean, the Pose has gotten great reviews. My wife was like, "What is that?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I just didn't pay attention <laughs> to it. I, I'm probably going to have to go watch it. Yep. Um, I swear that is in this what they're now calling the Platinum Age Television." I, it's really hard, but there's so much good content out there to try and grab everything if that's not your sole job. In fact, there was a little bit of the conversation that I had with Tree, the kind listener uh, that I traveled with. You know, I, he's like, well, how do you pick what to talk about? And I said, you know, we we just try to get in on what we get in on. And in fact, a quick announcement, there will be coming soon. Uh, we, of course, have our email, info at theotherkindradio.com, that you can email us your thoughts. But I am in the process of setting up a phone line. So if you don't have time to write an email, you can call us and leave us a voicemail. And yeah, um, you, the kind listener, you're the one that returns every week. You're the one that's, uh, you know, giving us your time and your and your kindness with uh, uh, enjoying the show. Please, 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 please let us know if there's something we're not aware of or tracking. Put it on our radar because my radar is pretty, uh, pretty old. So is Todd's. So uh, if you want to help us, that'd be great. All right. Outstanding Reality Competition Program, Amazing Race, Ninja Warrior, Nailed It, Rule Paul's, Drag Race, Top Chef, The Voice. I think I know who won, and I think we both got a point. Rule Paul's Drag Race. Race, race was the winner. <laughs> I looked up, Ellen, it says Rue Paul's Drag Race. Race, God, I can't do it again. And then it has big parentheticals winner and so i was jumping to the we the oh elmer, i quit elmer fudd elmer fudd syndrome strikes again <laughs> rupaul dragways <laughs> all right outstanding lead actor in a limited series or movie uh you had ali with true detective toro with escape from Denimora, which i need to watch because i i got really excited about this uh hugh grant very english scandal and harris for chernobyl uh, Jarrell Jerome, When They See Us, and Sam Rockwell for Fosse Verdon. Winner was? The winner was, and this was the the only time all night that I actually pumped a fist, Jarrell Jerome for yes. When They See Us. Yes. He gives, you know, we when we talked about it, he gives a performance that is just, there's no other way to say it than simply, oh my God. Yeah. He takes, and this, I, I don't know the complete affliction of this man if it's simply that he, you know, has learning problems, et cetera, but he takes on that persona of mm-hmm. a person that doesn't see the world completely, maybe the way you and I do. Right. And it endures the worst travesty that was committed to any of these men. All yeah. of them were treated horribly, but even when they made this film, they all compelled Ava DuVernay to, you have to tell his story. You have yeah. to tell all of it. This young man, oh my God, if they're, if you're going to give an award, Jared Harris and Chernobyl is fantastic. Yeah. Jarrell Jerome, is astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing that touched my heart as well as uh, hearing that he won was to see that the, um, I can't, I want, I want to make, make exonerated, the exonerated five uh, were there in the audience and the, the actual, uh, the, the man, the, the man, that, yeah, the man he portrayed was there and I saw a tear in his eye. So I thought that was great. It was good. Oh, I, I agree. Good moment. When I saw that tear, I had tears in mind too. Yeah. You're so, that is such a good catch. And I'm glad you said that. All right, let's move on to Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series or Movie. We have Amy Adams with Sharp Objects, Patricia Arquette, except from Dan and Alana, uh, Annuel Ellis, When They See Us, Joey King, The Act, uh, Nisi Nash, When They See Us, Michelle Williams versus Fosse Verdon, and the winner was... Michelle Williams for Fosse Verdon. Really? 
Damn it, you tied it up. I, th I thought that was the moment that Patricia Arquette got up. I had Amy Adams, you had Michelle Williams, so you get the point. Good did for I actually pick Michelle Williams for that? You did. You did. Michelle Williams is just a, an amazing actress. I am predisposed to like that miniseries because I love musicals so much. And Bob Fosse, beyond that, is probably one of my top 20 favorite directors, most influential to the way I do. Man that directed Cabaret. Uh, uh, many things, all that jazz. I just adore him. It's, I think it's a pretty good miniseries. I'm a little shocked, though, even though I may have picked her. I, you know, Joey King in the act. Good Lord, that young lady is amazing. Yeah. So, but great, great win for Michelle Williams. Fantastic. All right, let's go to Outstanding Support, Supporting Actor in a Drama Series with Jonathan Banks, Better Call Saul, uh, Esposito with Better Call Saul, Alan with Game of Thrones, uh, Coster Waldau, Game of Thrones, Peter Dinklage, Game of Thrones, uh, Michael, Michael Kelly, sorry, House of Cards, and Chris Sullivan, This Is Us. You and I both went with Peter Dinklage, and the winner was... Peter Dinklage, Game of Thrones. Did you see his speech? I did, you know, and my wife did not watch the entire thing with me, but she saw that and she's like, oh, it's your man. And I do love him as an actor. She, but then her next comment was, is he always that much of a curmudgeon? <laughs> like, yeah, he can be. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why he was cast for that part. But congratulations to uh, Peter. That's, that's, that's a great win. Uh, right. and, and you know, you look at that and, and uh, later on, I'll point out some Game of Thrones things where they split the vote. But this is one where I think that that voting academy basically looks and says, hey, He's the one that's a standout in that show, and they can easily pick him. Right. Outstanding supporting actress in a drama series. Uh, we have Gwendolyn Christie with Game of Thrones. Uh, Lena Headley with Game of Thrones. This is a lot of Game of Thrones. Sophie Turner, Game of Thrones. Uh, Massey Williams, Game of Thrones. Fiona Shaw, Killing Eve. And Julia Garner, Ozark. You picked uh, Headley with Game of Thrones, and I picked Williams with Game of Thrones. The winner was... Julia Garner with Ozark. And this is the one when I went, uh-oh, oh. HBO. So what HBO decided, they have, the, the way these nominations work, and, and I don't know the Emmys as well as I do the Oscars, but from my understanding, it's not just the voting populace that picks the nominations. They submit people for it. And they've always tried to be very focused before to get somebody an award and they would only submit one person for it this year to honor everybody. That's why you've got Gwendolyn Christie, Lena Hetty, Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams, all these ladies for game of Thrones. You start to look, well, I, I pick Lena Hetty because she's never won for it. She's the villain of it. Everybody really thought her performance was great, but you start thinking now you've got four votes to split out. Mm -hmm. Julia Garner is a really good actress. She is probably one of the standouts to me in Ozark. I don't think she's deserving of that award. I really don't. <laughs> but but interesting to kind of see the numbers behind it. I mean, that, get, that puts things in a little more perspective. Yeah. All right, let's go to Outstanding Supporter Actor in a Comedy Series. with Anthony Kerrigan, Barry, Stephen Root, Barry, Henry Winkler, Barry, Alan Arkin, the Kaminsky Mathered, Tony Shalhub, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is what we picked together, and Tony Hale Veep, your winner was? Tony Shalhoub for the Marvelous Mrs. Nice. Maisel. Yeah, that's Monk, right? That is Monk. Yeah. Just a great dude. I mean, just so talented. And he is he he is so crucial to that show. He's yeah. I'm glad they picked him. All right. Outstanding supporting actress in a comedy series. We'll go to Sarah Goldberg Berry, Cian Clifford, Fleabag, Olivia Coleman, Fleabag, 
Betty Gilpin glow. That's what I picked. Alex Borstein, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's what you picked. Her, um, Marion, Marin Hinkle, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Kate McKinnon, Saturday Night Live, and Anna Klumsky, Veep. The winner is Alex Borstein from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, take the lead. Eight to seven. Good job for you. Very tight. Yes. Yes. Very tight. Tighter than I ever expected. <laughs> Outstanding supporter actor in a limited series or movie. We have Stellan Skargard, Chernobyl, Paul Dano, Escape from Denimora, Ben Whishaw, Very English Scandal, uh, Ente Black, When They See Us, John Yegazama, When They See Us, That's What I Picked, and, Mich- and Michael K. Williams, uh, When They See Us, That's What You Picked, and the winner was... Ben Whishaw for A Very English Scandal. Which surprised me a little bit. Um, I think you're looking again at a split of the vote. Yeah. Uh, you know, John Leguizamo and Michael K. Williams are two very respected actors that I think a lot of people probably split votes for they, when they see us. Yeah. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård does not have quite the showy role in Chernobyl. And therefore, Ben Wishaw did get fantastic reviews for it. And it's sort of, I, this is the unfair thing. Yeah. He did a great job. Why am I having to even explain that away? But that's really almost, you look at that and that's like why he gets it. Yeah. Very good point. Outstanding variety talk series. Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Full Frontal with Samantha B. Jimmy Kimmel Live. Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which you and I both picked. The Late Late Show with James Corden and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Your winner was? The Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. All right. I didn't know that. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Nine, nine to eight. Uh, good for John. He, they do a great show every week. And um, yeah, glad he won. And on to Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. At Home with Amy Sedaris, Documentary Now, Drunk History, which you picked, I Love You America with Sarah Silverman, Saturday Night Live, and Who is America, which I picked. The winner was? Oh, God, you can hear the snores coming Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah, crickets. You know, once again, that is, it is literally like they look and go, well, that's an institution. I'd love to host it at some point. Let me uh, vote for it. Yeah, exactly. And I even remember um, What's-His-Face's acceptance speech was, ugh, it was okay. When you yeah. went, he's won like, what, 20 of them or 19 of them or something like that over the years? And it look, the early days of that show were groundbreaking, amazing. Yeah. He needs to get out of the way and let some new people come and get new lock blood. Cause I just find, I took it off my recording thing. Yeah. I find it boring. My dad still watches a lot. He was, Hey, did you see Saturday Night Live? And I'm, I'm just going to have to come clean with him and just let him know. I just don't have any interest in it anymore. Right. Um, oh, sorry, dad. Yeah. Sorry, dad. Sorry, pop. Outstanding host for reality or reality competition program. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres, Ellen's game of game of games, Emmy, uh, polar, Nick Offerman, making it RuPaul's RuPaul's drag race or Wace, as Todd would say. That's also what he picked. Uh, Marie Kondo, tidying up with Marie Kondo. That's what I picked. And James Corden, the world's best. The winner was? I don't have that winner on there, but I believe that was RuPaul. I do think it was RuPaul. No, Yeah, now you're up by two. Um, Bam! Good, good, <laughs> good for them. Uh, RuPaul has uh, done amazing things, not only in just with, with that community, with the community that, that dresses and and has fashion shows and everything else, but uh, also is also very gracious and speaks well, uh, went up there and is very appreciative. So congratulations, RuPaul. Well-deserved. And, um, and you know what? It, it's a great host too. I, I often will watch things and my wife might go, I hate that person that's the host, but I'm like, you got to look at they're the glue that does something like that. Yeah. He is a hundred percent in the five seconds I've ever watched that show. He's fantastic in yeah. what he does. Does a great job. 
Outstanding guest actor in a drama series, Michael McKean, Better Call Saul. We both picked that one. Bradley Woodford, Handmaid's Tale, Glenn, uh, Glenn Thurman, How to Get Away with Murder, Ron Cephas, This Is Us, Michael Angarano, This Is Us, and Kumail Nanjani, The Twilight Zone. Your winner was? Once again, Variety is failing me, but I believe that's Bradley Whitford for Handmaid's Tale. I believe you're right. So we'll just go with that. We'll just make up our own. That's good. Neither one of us got a point off of it. Yeah, there you go. Who cares? Hmm? Uh, Outstanding guest actress in a drama series. Jessica Lange, America Horror Story. Uh, Carice Van Houten, Game of Thrones, that's what you picked. Sherry Jones, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, Cis, uh, what is it? Cicely Tyson? I can't. C-I-C-E-L-Y. Okay, Cicely Tyson. Ha- actors, the fact that you've never heard of her, that's awesome. Yeah, awful. How to Get Away with Murder, <laughs> Laverne Cox, Orange is the New Black, and Felicia Rashad, This Is Us. That's what I picked, and the winner was? I believe the lady from Handmaid's Tale. Okay. <laughs> I hate variety. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. If you're <laughs> going to put out one list, put out the other that says these are the people that want it. Right. Uh, and I should have done this pre-show, but that's okay. Uh, outstanding guest actor in a comedy series. Luke Kirby, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Rufus Swell, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's what you and I picked was Rufus Sewell. Sewell. Adam uh, Sewell, sorry. Adam Sandler, Saturday Night Live. John Milani, Saturday Night Live. Matt Damon, Saturday Night Live. Robert De Niro, Saturday Night Live. And Peter McNichol, Veep. Oh God, I, that one I don't know, Jeff. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm going to a point of going to look for a different list because variety sucks. <laughs> Emmy winners list. Come on, Google, Google, Google. Hollywood Reporter. Oh, might you know what? Here's Emmys. Let's go to the Emmys and just see if they have oh, it. That hopefully they will. Oh God, I'm putting guest, and there's no listing of the guest winners. <laughs> really uh let's see if we actually have any uh any more here's what's even worse if you go to the the site yeah for the uh, for the emmys it it says what the nominees are with their pretty little picture it doesn't say oh there's the winner i now see what they did okay that is confusing yeah i think they do that so you spend more time on the on the web page you're listening to the other kind of radio as we look around the internet so uh, I'll start out uh, while Todd's looking at that. I'm going to give you one of my top three. Oh, 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 I know. I know. I found it. I okay. Found it. Found Who is it? That would be Luke Kirby for The Marvelous Mrs. Nice. Maisel. Good job, Luke. Guy right. that plays Lenny Bruce. He's he's great. You yeah. know, he's getting a lot of work. I, I didn't realize that was him that won. So good for him. Awesome. That makes me happy. All right. Our next one is Outsigning Guest Actress in a Comedy Series. Uh, let's see if that's guest actress. So while Todd's looking that up real quick, I'll, I'll share one of my top three moments. First of all, hats off to them technically for using the led wall as the back of the stage. It allowed for some great shots where they were on stage speaking and the camera angle was able to catch what was on the led wall behind them. And it may, instead of just doing a straight uh, green screen, uh, it, it really gave it a nice look. Okay, so you know who won. We only have like I think two more two more sections. Outstanding guest actress in a comedy series. Um, Fiona Shaw, Fleabag, Kristen uh, Scott Thomas, Fleabag, Maya Rudolph, The Good Place. I picked that. Jane Lynch, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You picked that. Emma Thompson, Saturday Night Live. Sandra O, oh, Saturday Night Live. The winner is Jane Lynch for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Good job. Yeah, you're well into the lead. I think I'm done, done, done. All right. So the last one 
Outstanding Limited Series, Chernobyl, Escape from Denim, uh, at Denimora, Bossy Verdon, Shop Objects, and When They See Us, which you and I both picked. And the winner was... Chernobyl. <laughs> God, bottom, which, bottom. Again, yeah. Both of us, how much did we go on and on about that show? Outside of the fact that they don't use Russian accents and they all speak with English accents, yeah. what did we say about that show outside of that fact? Really good outstanding yeah you know i've told my kid you need to watch this it's hard to watch blah blah blah. it's good however when they see us man i don't understand how they can look at those two and not say uh that's a lot better Mm -hmm. yeah i'm pretty disappointed in that i remember seeing that too and i was i was kind of like oh well okay i guess that's an award show for you so um so that that closes it out. You uh, once again have retained your your championship series. The now close to the the, the Patriots of 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 uh, award shows uh, with a eleven to eight win. Uh, congratulations uh, to Todd for uh, winning this year's uh, prediction. Um, one of I'm, I've only got one other thing I wanted to talk about as far as top three, bottom three, except this will be top one, bottom one. The the, uh, the main thing that really bothered me that they did on the show production side this year was the commentary as the people were walking up the stage. They had the hosts making jokes about the people walking up. And you talk about breaking the the rules of comedy that should always be followed. This was a nightmare and just made me shake my head every time that you announce the winner the winner's walking up and you hear being like, you know, Bob Johnson has won 15 Emmys, which is uh, about the same number of kids he has. And you're kind of going like, and how is that funny? You're trying to figure out what their angle was. And I just made that up. That was an actual quote or anything, but I found it very distracting. And uh, I can understand why people were tuning into 60 minutes. There were numerous times, you know, I, I know enough about audio to make me not an idiot. I know that Jeff knows enough about audio to actually have a profession in it. And so I would turn to him and say, um, also, can I ask a question? They're, they're showing a clip of Stephen Colbert and I hear the mix of the people in the audience screaming beneath it so much that I can't hear what Stephen Colbert is saying. Yeah. yeah. I, th- across the board, there were choices like this, which I, I get that they're trying to say, we're trying to make this more of a, of an event. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it was terrible. For a lot of presenters, there was the, the missing element of a microphone rising out of the stage, which is, you know, I know that's been done. But the reason why you do that is you've got to have that singular source to pick up the audio so it can be put on the broadcast. I think they were using either some laser mics or some other type of, of uh, shotgun mic that was very supposed to be focused in a very specific area. But just as you so, so, uh, so well said the mix was horrible and you're absolutely right. So Stephen Colbert is up there talking. You can't understand uh, what he's saying, which again, as a person sitting uh, in their hotel room in Chicago, trying to watch this for the podcast kept pulling me out and I kept paying more attention to what they were doing wrong technically than what they were doing right. And what was being said on stage is where, which is where your, your uh, attention should be focused. You know, and, and, and while we sit here in this kind of, very much the bottom three ish type things we thought of. Yeah. 
one thing that drove me nuts while, while I think it's kind of cool is that the way that the award is announced. So outstanding guest in an actor series, the, the nominees are Fiona Sean. It's, it's a voiceover with, with visual clips that go. And then you'd go and here to present the award is Emma Thompson and Sandra. Oh, and they'd walk out and go and the, and the winner is, and it's like, Whoa, why are you even here now? Right. Right. That's always been the person who walks on, reads it while this goes. And even if that's a pre-recorded thing, you yeah. would let them for themselves. It felt so disjointed that I was like, I don't understand what they're going for. I know this whole new hostless environment is very hip. It felt like it was also producer and rightless. You know, it was just <laughs> awful. Right. I, you point that out. I forgot about that. And you could imagine, especially for the people that were presenting, I guess the presents pretty big honor, but I, I'm sure there were people that had the same thought. Like, so I'm literally going out on stage and opening an envelope and reading the winner. And there's no, there's no banter. I mean, that used to be the fun of it was they would have something kind of cute to say or reference something. And yeah, I guess that did require, require writing. And uh, I guess they got rid of that. Yeah. I, Maybe that's why people ter- turned out. I mean, tuned right. out. It was that, oh my God, this is just absolutely horrible. You know, especially with the Emmys, maybe the Oscars will be different, but maybe from now on down the road, we'll just do a recap show because, you know, again, I, I'm just not seeing anything here that really is, you know, I mean, we could recap or talk about highlights, but uh, I'd be interested to hear from the kind listener as far as the, you know, doing two shows on this and what, you know, what they get out of it. Cause now that things seem to be so off the, tr- the off the rails as far as how they're writing, producing, shooting, hosting, I mean, if, it's hard for us to do a show where it's just like somebody saying three words and walking off the stage. Yeah, and I I don't know what the but the truth is, but I think that you're right. Let's if if the kind listener wants to kick us back, what they would prefer. Yeah. Um, because I mean, come on, while I'm the Patriots, you pretty much are the Bengals. <laughs> so we, we don't know that there's going to be much competition in this. And I really did think you might've won this year. I really, this time I really did. All right. Well, uh, that's another hour you were spent with Todd and Jeff on the other kind radio. We want to thank everybody for stopping by. We will be back. Um, next week, we're going to record a little later in the week due to some travel and everything. Um, but uh, again, appreciate your listeners, your emails, your comments. Todd, you got any final words here? No, I think I'm worded out. All right, I'm worded out as well. No fancy clothes today, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We are the other kind radio. The other kind radio. The other kind.